three, two, one. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Failure Friday where we get to talk to my friends, my family, colleagues, and sometimes clients about how failure has shaped them in their personal lives and in their careers. And not just how, you know, we spend so much time talking about and highlighting why we are successful or validating why we deserve you to like our photos. But the truth is when you own a business or when you're successful in some other right, failure is always a part of that process. And I think that it's important we talk about that and normalize failure because it is a everyday event that makes us who we are, makes us more relatable, lovable, and just better citizens in general. So today we have a good friend of mine and a client Melissa Singleton. Melissa owns her own consulting practice where she travels around the country to train aesthetic and injectable professionals for Galderma. In addition to 16 years of experience as a physician assistant, she also makes time to practice for Amara Med Spa, which is a recent partner of my dear old friends, the Jacksonville Jaguars. She recently became a descendant quite quickly into what I would call a Harley whore. She loves riding her bike around and looking like just a bona fide badass. You didn't, you didn't put that in your intro description, but I felt like it was important. Um, but that's a vague description of a very complex woman. Uh, Melissa, can you expand a little bit about who you are and, and why you're special? Oh, wow. Um, I really am just passionate at whatever I put my hands to do, which I think in some regards is my total gift. And in some regards, it is um, almost could be a curse because I go hard and I do not know how to stop. And that's with anything that I pick up. Um, I am a mother to a beautiful son. I am a wife. Um, and I just love people in general. So I think that's what initially gravitated me towards medicine. I always wanted to be helpful. And when I kind of found my niche, um, when it comes to doing aesthetics, and at first I started in Medderm and I did cosmetic derm, I just really love helping people. And whether that's just restoring some of their confidence or you know, helping them in a journey to heal in different aspects of their life, it was one of the things where you know, there's sometimes you finally find that gift that God has given you. And I really feel like that's the pathway that I'm walking in right now. And I have the, the awesome opportunity of helping people and helping myself because I'm not going to sit here and act like the aesthetic industry that I've learned all the knowledge hasn't benefited in me maintaining some of my youthful appearance. So everything does come with a benefit of it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I did do a stint of teaching at the University of Florida too. I also taught PA school, which I, I absolutely love to in, uh, educate. Yeah, so I think that's what really helped gravitate me towards being on the educational side of the aesthetic industry as well. So I feel totally blessed and so fortunate to have met you because you are helping me so many ways financially and to help grow my business that um, I'm always constantly bragging about my financial advisor and how so smart she is and thank God she is because that is definitely not my gift. And I am happy to admit that and I'm happy to follow the role that Kendall lays out for me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you kind of just fell into my lap. She was a little bit hysterical. She just like called the office one day and was like, it's, I think it was like December 15th and to open a solo 401k, you have to yeah. have it done for that yes. year by December 30th 
by yeah. 5 p.m. And she goes, it's December 15th and I need a solo K right meow. And I was like, oh my God, okay, okay. Yeah. But we, we yeah. got along so well, I didn't, it didn't feel right to say no. And right. I guess you. that's how, that's, I believe that's how we met. You just kind of like came in one day and you were like, this needs to get done. And then Urgent. next thing I know, I'm like going out to Hamburger Mary's with this chick I, I just met. And I remember sitting so there being like, I, this is either gonna end badly or go great. So we're just gonna oh go God. for it. I loved it, <laughs> loved every moment of it. And darn COVID messed up future. Everything. Um, outings, I know, I know. But that was so much fun, had a blast. But, and, you what? Know, what was the specific because like being an, an injectable trainer is not something you dream about when you're nine years old unless you're in some really fucked up home life situation what brought you to that um so here's the thing i actually practiced at the university of florida dermatology med derm and cosmetic derm for a very long time about eight years before i went out to private practice and during that time i had the awesome opportunity of you know, helping residents and really just trying to help get the cosmetic uh, department up and running because being an academic institution, academics is first and foremost. So aesthetics really kind of took a back seat and I was happy to help. And as soon as I left the uh, academic institution, went to private practice, I met some wonderful, wonderful um, reps. And one of the reps for Galderma actually saw me teaching another uh, practitioner kind of some of the tips and stuff that I had learned and she just instantly said do you want to be a trainer and I honestly didn't know what that meant um, because being at an academic institution we never really interacted with uh, pharmaceutical reps or aesthetic reps and I looked at her kind of bewildered like trainer what is that and she was like oh you go train other people and oh by the way we pay you and I'm like hmm. Sounds good to me. And um, that's basically how that kicked it off. And it was such a blessing in disguise because I didn't even know to even look for something like that. And, you know, having left teaching at the University of Florida PA School, I, I always love being with patients, but I love sharing knowledge. Like for me, sharing knowledge obviously, you know, helps that injector, but it also helps the client that sits in that seat because I'm super passionate about like, injectors understanding anatomy and tissue depth and rheology, which is how the filler is composed. So it really gets, like I get to kind of live in both worlds of putting my hands on somebody's face and sculpting and creating and rejuvenating and creating an aesthetic journey. And then I also get to impact multiple other clients just by teaching other injectors, some of the techniques or even new injectors starting out understanding kind of everything that goes into doing aesthetics because there is a bit of a glamour or a bit of a um, kind of, you know, a lot of people want to go into it, but not everybody can do it. And you have to really understand and you really have to be a student um, and, and, and strive after all the knowledge you have because that's what's going to make you excel and that's what's going to keep you, you know, from the masses because right now this industry is booming and um, not all injectors are alike. That's what I was about to ask you. Do you feel like with the rise of plastic surgery and just the beauty industry in general injectables, which have, I still think, ha they've become much more widely accepted. I get them. Absolutely. Most of the people you know get them. Um, right. There's still a stigma though, right? How do you think the rise 
in this industry has created an abundance of ignorant injectors that don't know what they're doing. More so Absolutely. than 10 years ago, even. I do, I do. And you know, part of it too, is there's such a, a misrepresentation sometimes, um, especially when it comes to like social media um, and filters and, you know, even people Photoshopping their before and afters that um, I really feel a, a deep passion that every time I train somebody, I really train them to look holistically at a face so they can give the best outcome because clients just don't know when they sit down. Um, unless you have friends that have been, you know, treated by this particular person that, you know, everything has been represented the way it should be and the skill set and understanding that, you know, not anybody should just inject your face, you know. Um, so I find that the whole natural approach, people come in all the time, they're super afraid of, you know, having that fake look and the fake look is out, right? I always say, you probably know at least 20 people that you've passed that have gotten injectables, but you didn't know because it's natural. It's, that's what we're going for. You know, I always say, when we are injecting, I am trying to restore part of an aging process, or sometimes we have some asymmetries that we want to correct. I always say everybody's asymmetrical. So this whole idea that your face needs to be completely symmetrical is a misnomer, right? So the beauty comes with the asymmetry. I don't know if you've ever seen the camera, Kendall, where you can literally superimpose your left side on your left side of the face or your right side on your right side of the face. And it looks crazy. It looks wonky. It looks like alien-like, right? So, you know, I always try to tell people, you know, when we're doing these injectables, I am trying to provide these millimeter changes or tweakments, right? It's, it's trying to kind of uh, enhance some of the things that might have been changing through the aging process or correct some of the things you know some people will have a little bit of a recess in their chin and that's just how they were born but now we're able to do injectables in the chin which will help their balance of their side profile and their smile so I'm super passionate about it because I personally just love um, seeing people really just feel good about themselves um, and to be so happy and not to realize that we could have been doing some of these things or, you know, getting the changes that they effectively want. That's why I just, I feel super blessed that I've had the opportunity to, you know, put my hands on so many people's faces um, to help them or even their bodies. You know, we do body contouring too. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so yes, to answer the question, there's been such a rise and um, it's a little bit scary and that's why I'm really passionate about you know training as many people as I can so we can help to make the industry safer and we can help protect clients um, and when they sit in the chairs. What are some quick tips before we move on to the next question of that people can use in their research process of maybe questions they can ask to at least deter them from going with someone who maybe does not have the experience or the expertise or maybe is not the natural style. And I want to, to pause that for a second that the fake look is also a look within itself. And I found that through my research of plastic surgery, there are people who want 
right. the fake look as well. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think that it's good to know which one you want. Right. Because a lot of right. people come in, they're like, well, I want my lips to look like this picture, but that's not the shape of your natural lip. So it's gonna right. take an excessive amount of filler to get that look, or it might not even be attainable at all. But what, what are some questions or maybe some observations that you would give people to be able to deter them from going with someone who might not be a good fit? Yeah, I, that's a great question. So consultation is first and foremost, right? So if you're sitting in the chair um, and you are conversing with your injector, you know, one, it, it's okay to ask them how long they've been doing this. That is an appropriate question. Um, and you have to make sure that you understand how long? And I'm not saying that people that have been doing it for a couple of years aren't super talented because those mm -hmm. people do exist and they've invested in themselves and that's fantastic. Um, but I think that's a completely appropriate question. Um, along with when you're going through the consultation process, you want to find somebody that understands anatomy, that understands when you say, you know, I'm having a little bit of, you know, heaviness down here, that they're explaining why you're seeing what you're seeing. And when you're talking with somebody, you want to feel heard. So I always have my client kind of tell me some of the top three things that they want to work on. And then I formulate a plan. And I think it's really important that whenever you're investing in yourself and investing and, you know, improving your face, that there is a, an aesthetic journey laid out, right? So that you know some of the things that you can do. Doesn't mean that you always have to do all of them. But I find that for people that have truly have a passion and been doing it a while, they, you can tell, you, can, you will be with somebody and you will get the vibe that they live, eat, and breathe aesthetics. And they understand filler, they understand you know, some of the other tools that we have in our toolbox to pull out. And you feel comfortable. That's important, you feel comfortable. And sometimes a bargain is, is not always the best way to go. Because, you know, I know aesthetic can be, um, there's a price point that goes with that, but you can't really put a price on safety in your face. So don't always go after like a Groupon or some of these things, because again, you just don't know. And it may cost three times the amount to correct a mistake if you're sitting in somebody's chair that really does not understand, um, you know, some of the dangers that lies behind it. And even still me having the experience I have, there's always still that potential, but I know how to handle complications as well if it does arise. What is an area that uh, you that people don't realize is a complicated area to work on that you as an injector know is more complicated? Yeah. That's a very good question. So, you know, sometimes when people go down this Botox journey and they notice that they have these deep creases, um, you know, and they come in and they're like, can I get filler there? That is one of the most complex areas to inject and one of the most dangerous areas to inject because there's all sorts of vessels. And I always say vessels are a highway and the end result to the eye. So there's an injection and you get into a vascular occlusion, the time frame for that injection to go into the retina and potentially cause a blindness is very short. Um, so, you know, in between the eye is one of the most dangerous areas. The nose also is very dangerous in terms of injecting just because of the vessels again. And again, we're talking about a short space to get to the eye. Um, lips, 
as much as people like getting lips, uh, the vascularity to the lips also, you have to be very um, cognizant and you would have to know tissue depth in order to try to prevent some of those complications that can arise. Um, and then the other uh, dangerous area is in the mid part of the face. Um, because we have a big vessel that's coming out. So people that come in and they want tear troughs or they sit in anybody's chair and want to get tear troughs, they have to understand that there is a danger that goes with that. And last but not trough? least, but to, tear trough is this little area where you have a depression oh. sometimes. Yeah, so, and we call it a trough. It's like horses, you know, the little trough where they get their water out of because there is a bit of a divot there. Um, and a lot of times, again, you know, people are super savvy and they've been on social media and they hear tear troughs, they hear tear troughs and they come in and they think they need tear trough filler. So you want to sit with somebody that understands you may not actually need tear trough filler. You may need filler in the mid face. Um, and that helps to protect you because obviously tear troughs can be way more complicated to inject. Um, and then doing injections in the temples as well in the forehead. So truth be told, there's not a whole bunch Everywhere. of areas. Exactly. <laughs> So that's why I am very passionate about, you know, anatomy and teaching tissue depth because vessels lie at different varying degree, not degrees, but depths on the skin or in the face, I should say. And then using um, um, uh, tools like cannulas, which are blunt tip instruments that I can uh, insert into the face. And so with it being blunt, it's not necessarily going to puncture, it's going to kind of push aside. So that allows, um, you know, injectors to uh, give a little bit more safety um, when we're doing these injections on these clients that trust us. Um, so that's why I um, really, like I said, I, I can't train enough, honestly, because I, I feel a, a duty to try to help make every um, client's experience as safe as possible to those that are willing to learn. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's super important come from the place of education that's where I also try to come one if you're coming from a place of education it's I like to call it CYA you're covering your ass right if your client Heck understands yes. what they're getting into and right. something does happen because there are in my industry there's certain variables that are outside of your control and it's a right. lot easier to deal with a client who understands that that is a possibility before it happens than one that had no idea it was going to happen beforehand Right. So that brings us to the point of the podcast. In your journey, because you're obviously very experienced and knowledgeable on this topic, what would you describe as a pivotal moment of failure? You know, it's so One. funny because uh, I've been doing this for so long and I remember my first filler patient like it was yesterday. Um, the fear that went into me finally injecting a pain client's face on top of the didn't have the same knowledge i mean you know i i tried to learn as much as i could it had to be someone back yeah, oh it was i remember her that's what i'm saying i remember who it was and she was the sweetest soul um but the outcome didn't come out like i wanted it and she was fairly happy she didn't really complain but for me i was just like oh girl you missed the mark because I didn't understand, I didn't understand the rheology of the filler, which it sounds super nerdy, but rheology basically is what the filler is composed of. And there's certain fillers that are not designed to be placed more superficially, how much water content that the filler will actually bring into, so it creates swelling. I mean, just 
not the outcome I wanted. And it was in this little tear trough area and the cheek area. And again, I just would have said major fail, especially knowing what I know now and going back. But after that patient, um, and again, she didn't complain. I just wasn't happy. Um, I felt like, man, this is not what I wanted to come out, but it's because I didn't have the skill set. And I was doing things that was outside really my purview because I thought I could. And I, from that point on, made it a point for me to know the ins and outs of whatever I put in somebody's face. Because I find that there's so many different fillers now. You know, when I first started, there were four fillers that we can do. Well, first was wow. Rustling. Then there was Perlane that got rebranded as Rustling Lift. And then there was Juvederm XC. And then Juvederm Ultra came out shortly after. So those were the fillers that we were working with. And I just didn't use it appropriately. Which one did you and use? And why wasn't it the appropriate one? Yeah, so I used Juvederm Ultra. And I used it closer to the tear troughs than it needed to be. And knowing what I know now, Juvederm Ultra loves water. That's the last thing you want to do is put it in somebody's cheek slash tear trough area so that it sucks in more water and creates more puffiness. And Juvederm Ultra is such a, um, it's a particle size that sometimes when you put it too superficially, and what I mean by particle size is that the size of the HA molecule, which is hyaluronic acid molecule, it varies in different fillers. And if it's a little bit larger than it needs to be, then it can actually reflect light in that this area looks bluish. Oh, wow. Yes, and we call that the Tyndall effect. So here I put something in this client's face close to the tear trough region that brought in more fluid and had a little bit of a bluish tint to it. It just drove me nuts and I was able to dissolve it. Um, and again, she wasn't really complaining, but I could not look at her and be happy. And so I was like, hey, let's go ahead and like dissolve a little bit of that. And, you know, we'll do a little bit more down the road. But yeah, I just had to get that out because for me, I could not continue to look at it, even though she, like I said, she didn't complain about it, but I, I just couldn't. And from that point, I was like, I cannot produce that type of result because I am a perfectionist to the T. Um, and so it was really frustrating that my skill set could not produce the picture in my head that I wanted to give her. Um, and so, yeah, I really just had to invest in myself and figure out what was happening, underlying the anatomy, the bone anatomy, the fat pad anatomy, the muscular anatomy, like all of that. I just dove deep into it and I purposed to be the best I could be. And every single day I try to do that. But you're not unique in this situation. Like anyone in your industry is going, has to have a first patient. They have to have a first 10 patients or these types yes. of things are going to happen. So that brings me to yes. what are the barriers to entry to do what you do? Like what could you have done to prevent that? Or was it just a necessary part of the journey and everyone goes through it? Yeah, and you know, I will say it was a necessary part of the journey in some ways. Had I have had a mentorship um, had I have had, so you're talking about almost 14 years ago, the industry did not have the same type of, you know, courses, advanced courses that even have cadaver labs back then. So with now somebody entering into the industry, there's so many avenues for education. 
Like you have absolutely got to invest in yourself. You've absolutely got to pick up these books on facial anatomy and understand like there's so many different ways to advance your career that in the first five years, you should be going to conferences left and right. Um, just because for you not to have the knowledge, it's not because it's not out there. And that was a little bit of kind of what existed back then because as an aesthetic um, provider in the aesthetic industry, we were ever evolving, right? So like in the beginning when filler first came out, I think it was like 2002 or three, Rustlin came out and people would come in and we're like putting a little bit in the nasolabial folds and we're calling it a day. You know, we weren't even thinking about like the whole aging process, right? So when people were first getting filler, they were getting all these little filler and nasolabial folds and they smile and it kind of looked different and it wasn't flexible and we're kind of like, eh. but that's all we knew because the industry was growing, right? So Europe has always been ahead. So they've had more fillers, but you know, we have evolved from an industry standpoint of like, no longer are we just taking care of like the complaints. We're actually knowing where the issues are coming from. You know, I always say, it's like, you see this, but it's actually coming from back here or it's coming from the mid phase. So we have a better grasp at um, why you see what you see. So we're not just putting band-aids on an issue. We're actually trying to go in there and be corrective and restorative. Um, but somebody entering in, entering the industry right now, there are a lot more opportunities um, for education, but then there's also a lot, a lot more to learn. I mean, now mm -hmm. if I had to count how many fillers we have on the industry, we're up to probably at least 17, oh, 18. Yeah, 17, 18 choices that we could choose from. And how do you choose? Like, if you don't understand the science, you're just hoping and praying and pulling some of these out because so-and-so used this in their cheeks the other day and it worked out fine. You know what I'm saying? So there's so much more to learn that, you know, there's gonna be a bit of a, a gap in between somebody coming into the industry and having been there because we've used all of these other fillers and then the new ones coming, we have less to know. Um, or less to learn because there's one or two that might come out on the market, you know, every year, but, uh, there's just so much knowledge. So, um, yeah, the, the gaps from not knowing to knowing is much shorter for people that enter the industry at this moment. But there still has to be challenges as someone established as well, because I, I see it in my own industry with older advisors that have been around for decades, because you can do my job until you, like, you don't even have to walk to do my job. You just have to be able to look at a screen and understand the language. But like, I, I go to these conferences and, I mean, I just went to a conference in Chicago and it was probably 70 people and I was one of two women and everyone there is 50s, 60s. And I'm talking to some of these guys, and I, because I have, a, I'm similar to you, where it's just I want to soak up as much as I possibly can. Right. But naturally, as we age, change becomes harder. Right. And I find that the older advisors really struggle adopting things like cryptocurrency, NFTs, all of these different concepts of how our industry is changing. And it's, they just get to a point where, hey, this, I know this works. I've been working with this for 25, 35, 40 years. Eh, fuck cryptocurrency. Like, what? <laughs> I'm not going to be around by the time right. it's commonplace. Right. Do you see that struggle in your own career where you have these injectors, maybe even yourself, where these new things come on the market? And you're like, uh, I know this works. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I will say on two things. So one... 
most people that, and I say most, and that's an umbra- umbrella, and obviously there's going to be those that are kind of like, you know, Balanced, I know what yeah. I know, and I, right. But most people were always excited because the industry is ever evolving and there's always new tools that we can pull out to try to get the best um, result for the patient, right? Um, but there's also new fillers that do come in the market. And for me, I don't jump on the bandwagon right away. I am one of those that I want to see kind of how things kind of fall into place because I'm going to read a study. I may play with it a little bit, but I have my tried and true. I have my go-tos that I know the outcome and that I know what result I can get with using X, right? So unless there's such a gap in my arsenal or my toolbox that I haven't been able to achieve you know, this particular result because I lack that particular filler, I don't instantly jump on the new kid on the block because sometimes it takes a little bit of time to reveal that perhaps people may have different complications that, you know, mm-hmm. start showing up a few years later. Um, so I try to, you know, protect my brand and I try to protect the client by just kind of seeing how these newer fillers come out. And in fairness to some of the new fillers that might be new to the U.S. are not necessarily new to Europe. So you can always look mm-hmm. at some of the clinical studies. And with the FDA here, obviously, it's a lot harder and the regulations are a lot more strict. But, you know, if your filler is not really any different than what I've been using, then why switch? You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Like, if you're not really bringing something completely different to the industry, I'm going to use what I know because I know what to look out for. I know how That's to, fair. you know, um, tell patients uh, in terms of, you know, complications, et cetera. So. That's fair. Is there anything that you see on the rise in Europe per se? that hasn't really reached its full popularity here quite yet? Yeah, so I mean, there is different filler brands over there and I don't necessarily feel like we have a huge gap that they're not they're gonna take off. I will say they have an abundance of fillers that they can choose from. So there's probably a difference in price point because there's more competition. You know, when you only have a certain amount of uh, manufacturers that produce filler then you can kind of set your prices how you want right because there's no person that's really coming in and shaking up the market um but in terms of you know advancements and what they're doing over there you know they have toxins that can last up to six months um they and we have permanent filler here which i'm not a huge fan of because obviously permanence means if there's an issue i don't have a way of erasing that Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know of anything that I feel like right now at this moment in time that the U S is lacking. I could have said that five years ago or six years ago, but we have since really increased our, um, our filler, uh, profile and, and the fillers that we do have. And I mean, you know, my goal next year is to go to Monaco to the, um, international aesthetics conference so maybe they'll like wow me and i'll realize that i was missing something all along be fine. oh yeah girl I'm, I'm i'm gunning for that um but other than that yeah i feel i feel right now that especially having been in the industry for so long like there's so many tools in a toolbox and it's fantastic because you can really give that end outcome that you want to the patient whereas like maybe even six seven years ago we were really kind of lacking in some avenues so 
yeah, it's a fun time to be in aesthetics. It really is. And I always say now, like, it's going to be very interesting to see how our generation um, continues to age, right? So, you know, we've had access to all this stuff. And, you know, like, I'm 44 and I've been doing stuff to myself probably for the last 12 years. So I'm fortunate enough to kind of stop the hands of time a little bit. And a lot of people are doing the same thing. We've got energy devices, we have lasers. We have Sculptra, which is one of my favorite things to do to, you know, stimulate collagen, which is an injectable that, you know, is that we what you put walk- in my hips? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. Sculptra. Yep. So we may be walking around, you know, in our fifties and sixties looking like we're 40, right? Like that's the goal. Um, and, the goal. <laughs> and I would, I would expect that we continue to develop the industry even more, you know, with more energy devices that a lot of this invasive surgery that was the only option back then may not even be something that a lot of people end up doing because we have these, you know, resources to really tighten the skin and, you know, suck out the fat and all that good stuff. But Sculptra, you know, like we talked about it when you're in clinic, it literally is a molecule or a microparticle that sits in your tissue and helps drive that type one collagen. And collagen, I mean, we all know as we get older, we just stop making it. We don't make it to the same degree. So we can inject Sculptra in the face, we can inject it in the body, we can inject it in the arms, the knees to help stimulate collagen to tighten the skin. Because all skin's gonna go through a loss of collagen you know, injecting it in the hip dips or, you know, inject it in the butt, um, especially for people that don't have enough fat to do a butt uh, lift or fat transfer, I meant to say, in the butt. Sculpture is an option, but I always tell patients, you know, Sculpture is not going to be the cheaper option. So, you know, if you're looking to do profile and butt injections, you're going to have to do a large volume for somebody that really has no volume. Um, So it's not necessarily a replacement for fat transfers of the butt or a BBL as people commonly know, but it's an option for those that just don't have the fat to transfer. And Um, I imagine as time goes by, because that's happened with the BBL in general, prices will go down as it becomes more commonplace. I mean, just in general, those, the things that we're talking about right now, the prices have gone down in the last 10 years, haven't they? In in general, not including like inflation and I do, I do, and I and I know too. Like in regards to the BBL industry, because it was kind of like the wild, wild west for a little bit. You know, people were getting things done, and the safety just wasn't being followed. So I know that there's some things that are being passed, and I think it's actually already been passed in legislation. We're actually in the process of getting a BBL. You're to be doing um, an ultrasound to make sure that you're not doing these fat transfers into vessels of the buttocks. So helping to bring more safety to the industry um, and helping to maybe weed out those that really didn't have that skill set in the first place um, mm-hmm. to no longer be able to perform, you know, BBLs. Because unfortunately, you know, not everybody came out to be able to tell the story after having a BBL. Um, yeah. So I personally I, I, know someone that, that passed away recently oh. from it. Um, oh. It's a very, I, I knew this because I did a lot of, of research on it, but just people get through the surgery and they think that, you know, it's over. I mean, the risk, and this goes with any surgery, but the right. risk of clotting oh, yeah. after these things. I, I wish oh. that there was a mandatory 
level of education that people had to go through before they got these types of surgeries, these invasive yeah. surgeries, or and that yeah. even educated them about other options. Like right. in my industry, for example, before you can roll out your 401k to a individual IRA or a Roth IRA, when you're speaking to your employer's institution, you have to, they tell you your other options and you have to consent that you understand what your other options are. Like right. that should be done for plastic surgery. That should be done for right. a lot of things, but. Yeah, um, you know what, surprisingly, and um, there's so, there is a consent. And I think what really happens is because the consents are so long that um, people rush through them and they sign them without fully reading oh, yeah, them. and the contract, duh, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, somebody kind of gives like the skinny and doesn't really highlight the real potentials that go into it. And like you said, you know, people just go into it and they think once you get through the surgery, it's fine and not really understanding the risks that go with it. Um, because I know every surgeon that's ever performed any surgery, there is a consent that says, you know, potential of clots and your results may not turn out the way you want it. I mean, all of these things in there, but how many times do you get a contract or something and you don't sit there and read all three pages, right? You're kind of like guilty of that. Same. Oh, show. You know, for I my surgery, I totally did not read it. Like exactly. My ADD brain is like, girl, we ain't got time for all this, and like you just don't read everything. So um, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that there, you know needs to be somewhat of a public service announcement that people just need to understand like it's not about getting the best picture and the best but you know you gotta understand that there's a health risk that's going to go with anything that you do to your body um and being you know understanding the real potential that this may not come out the way you want or this may not come out to where you'll be able to tell the story you know and even though that's rare i'm not trying to highlight that this is like something that happens all the time, but just understanding any risk that goes with any procedure so that you are an informed consumer um, and you're able to weigh your options. No, for sure. I mean, it's a beautiful industry. I love the way it's changing. I love when people are open and confident enough to talk about it because I'm very right. open about the work I have done and I wish, and this is probably to a fault, it does bother me when people lie about it, it because, right. because I'm just like, there's so many women uh, like so many of us sisters that are so just insecure and miserable with their bodies and who are on social media and they look at me or they look at you or they look at someone else who looks even better and they're like gosh right. if I just do this I can look like that but even yep. if I do this I don't so I just I wish more women were open about how common this is so that we could help each other because right. we live in such a sad and dark world why would we not do that when we can um I'm I agree it, it, it breaks my heart. So that's why it was so great um, to have you come in and talk about this. What is your favorite area to work on? Not to say like the one that you're best at, but the one that you really, you're like, oh yeah, I'm excited to do this one today. You know, I, I really love full face rejuvenation. Like, there is just something magical about being able to restore and knock off 10 years of, you know, an age off of somebody. Um, so full face rejuvenation, probably if somebody comes in and they're like, let's do it all. I am just like a kid in a candy store because I get to tweak all different areas. And I say tweakments, you know, some of it's foundational work and stuff. But if you say if there's absolutely one part of the face 
that I feel like really makes a difference for somebody and we only can focus on one part of the face. I know everybody loves lips and don't get me wrong, I have a passion about doing lips, but I tell you what really makes a difference to somebody's face is their chin. If somebody comes in and their chin is really recessed, they've been so self-conscious about this their whole entire life, we don't realize how the chin really frames our face. Like if your chin is recessed, when you smile, the predominance is always gonna be your upper part of your face or your upper lip. So what that does is it almost makes them look more toothy, more strong up here because this is so recessed, right? And I, and I say this from a standpoint of, as time goes on, it doesn't matter what you started off with, like your mandible, which is this part, is going to start receding backwards. And for me, that was an area that changed. Like, Kendall, it probably was like six years ago and I was doing a training and I took a picture and I'm just like, whoa, what is going on? I felt like I looked really toothy. I felt like I almost had more buck tooth or overjet of my tooth than I actually did. And when I realized what was happening, it was because I saw a side picture. And I saw the side picture that my chin was further back than what it used to. So when you smile, this is always gonna be dominant because this is not here to balance you. So for me personally, I have filler in my chin. I do not hold that from anybody. I let them know that I have filler in my chin in order to give that projection. And I also got braces. People don't understand and they maybe they do, maybe it's a price point issue, but how dentition, which is your teeth, how that affects your actual uh, maintenance of your mandible. So if your teeth and your uh, lower teeth and your upper teeth are not meeting properly, then your bone is not having that contact. And we've all seen people that have lost their teeth, right? What happens mm -hmm. is that their jaw becomes very small and they lose some of that bone because you're not having that constant contact. So whether it's through dentition issues or, you know, you were born this you way. You have me like I've looking actually, at the monitor like. Yeah, it's how my chin, your chin is beautiful, girl. I've already, I looked at you when you were in my chair. The chin is good, I, I look. Yeah, but good. I feel like my chin's really long when I smile. It gets big. You can't like make a chin smaller though. You can only make it. Girl, people come in for that strong chin. I'm telling you, that is, that helps the balance the face. Listen, look, I had to put four syringes in this chin in order to give the projection. Where did you put it? Like, where's the filler at in your chin? Yeah, so I'll kind of turn from the side. So you see how my nose and my chin are somewhat balanced, right? Before mm -hmm. my chin was further back. And what and happens- that just happens. Yes, it happens because you lose bone. And what happens is people also lose this angle of the jaw and they always think that they come in, they need jaw. A lot of times they just need chin to help elongate. So I put the filler, I put the filler right here in my chin. I put it in here for projection and put it in here because we lose volume as well. And you got a little bit, I have a little bit in my, what we call my mental crease. Um, and I never, I, yeah, that's my level of vanity. <laughs> I absolutely do inject myself. Um, it's not, it's not best practice. I'm not gonna sit here and tell anybody that's new in the injector game to inject themselves. Like there's a lot of things that go into injecting myself. Um, but it came out of a need. It came out of a necessity because as injectors, one, you know, until I joined the Mara Med Spa, a lot of times I was the solo um, injector at the practice I was at. So who am I gonna get to inject me? And when you have years of experience and you're training other people how to inject, it's like, who do you find? Who do you <laughs> find, right? I, I had a colleague 
um, that's also a national trainer in Orlando. And I, when I was down in Orlando, probably at four or five years, I had her do areas that I couldn't do myself. Um, but other than that, I've been the one that I've had to inject myself and I know what I'm going for. I'm going for a natural look. And that goes to the point that you had said, yes, not everybody, it doesn't mean, and there's no judgment if you want to have that more, um, aesthetic look and you want bigger lips and you want to go for that. That's, that's your business. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of like the injector, you're going to find injectors that you vibe with and there'll be injectors that maybe perhaps are more your speed because you want bigger lips and you want to have bigger cheeks and that's just your look. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm natural and you can walk in the door and see that I'm natural. And when I tell patients that, yes, I have filler in my face. Yes, I have sculpture in my face. Yes, I've been doing this to myself for 12 years. They're, they're, they're surprised because they thought I didn't have to do anything. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I do stuff to maintain this natural look, to mm -hmm. maintain this youthful appearance. So that gives them trust in me as well that, okay, my injector looks normal and she has all of these things in her face. So I'm going to look normal. And I always tell my patients, what happens in my room stays in my room. Meaning my goal is that you're not a walking advertisement for filler. That's just not my jam. I want you to feel confident and natural and feel like I just refreshed you instead of made you a whole different person. With that being said, because I'm at the point in my career where, I, where I'm starting to do this, probably in the last year, I've really started to crack down on this. And it's been hard for me because I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not good at saying no. I'm a people pleaser. I'm working on it, okay? Back off. Um, <laughs> how, because you know what you're good at and you know what you like and you know what you enjoy working with, are you at a point in your career where you're turning away clients that don't really fit what you want to accomplish? I have turned away people just because I wasn't their injector style and I did it with grace. Um, but I find that, you know, that rarely happens. I really find that there is such a desire for people to find somebody that's like, oh, you're going to keep me looking natural. You know, I think that, and this is what I talk about all the time, because there's some things in the industry in Hollywood that kind of gave this distorted view of what aesthetics really is that when they find out they can do filler and perhaps maybe their husband won't even notice or mm -hmm. their girlfriends won't even notice like a lot of people want to be like that they that's their business like not for me to judge um but i do find that most people resonate with what i'm telling them um about the natural journey and the aesthetic journey and rarely ever do i have to say no to somebody um i will and I have, I've had patients come in where their lips are really big and they want more filler. And I'm just like, I can't do that. That would be me doing a disservice to you. Um, and they appreciate the honesty, but they probably go to another place and get it done. And that's cool. But I can't put my hands on something like that because again, it's just not my brand. Not my brand, not necessarily here to judge. I'm just here to provide the best I can with these hands and these hands are I'm very natural. And again, like I would like for word of mouth. So I don't want somebody that I've done something that's completely out of my purview to tell other people that's what I do, because then you might scare five other clients that would have come to me because they want natural and they think that that's what I produce. That's not what I produce. Right. That's true. So. I've, I talk about this in my Dave Ramsey coaching group because they were all, we were having a discussion recently about, um, do we advertise that if, if you are Christian, do you advertise it? 
uh, on your on your appointment setting and on your website and stuff like that. And I was like, absolutely. If you are a Christian and your goal is to work with more like-minded people that are Christian, why wouldn't you do that? And they were like, well, you know, you don't want to scare away. It's not about, and this, this statement isn't even about Christianity. It's about if you know what you want to work with and you want to build a brand or a practice around the type of people you want to be surrounded by or the type of look you want to be surrounded by, you have to get good at saying no. It's the same, and it's this goes for every, anything. If you want to have yeah. friends in your life that you jam with that are going to be with you for the next 40 years going to your grandkids' fucking weddings, you right. have to say no. You have to let people walk out of your life. And that's something yeah. that I'm personally working on, and I've gotten in the habit of asking other professionals, do you say no, how do you say it, and are you okay with it? So yeah, to hear I, you say that you are. Yeah, and I... And I, I Again, I love to give what somebody asks me, right? So I do want to make people happy and I don't want to be confrontational. But I also feel like, you know, for me too, like I'm able to come at it from a safety perspective as well, right? So as I'm explaining something, they don't just think I'm just trying to be difficult. They get it. But that doesn't happen that often. And I'm thankful for that. And I think it largely could be regional too. Um, there's different um, styles. You know, there's different looks per area that you're at. And I find that, you know, kind of in the central Florida, northern Florida area, it's going to be a little bit different than maybe in the south Florida area. And that's oh, yeah. not me trying to be, you know. Um, that's just real. Let's just be honest. That's just real. Right. Um, so I find that I probably would have a bit of a struggle if I was more south Florida or maybe, you know, more west coast because there's different vibes. Um, but for where I'm at and where I have been, I really haven't had that pushback um, from a lot of people. And I probably can put on one hand the people that I've had to tell no in the last uh, 13, 14 years. Oh, wow. That's not a lot yeah. at all. No. So to, to bring this full circle, um, if coming back to your failure that you shared with us, your, your first client, which you look at as a failure, um, if that brought you to this place of I dove into the books, I dove into anatomy so I could really learn not just how to inject, but where to inject and why. Why haven't you thought about maybe doing a course for injectors? Because it feels like where you find, they're good at what you do, you love working with clients, but where you find the most value and, and give back is helping other injectors become avoid what happened with you. Have you ever thought about doing a course other than just I training? I have, I, have a, I have a few courses. Um, that they can take. Now, I have thought about potentially getting like an that online. That you've designed. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. So I, I actually have a few didactic courses that are specifically designed for, um, you know, uh, beginner injectors um, that come with, you know, a course book. And then I also have advanced injectors um, techniques and stuff. And then I do, you know, specific classes based off of, you know, different areas that they may want to learn. Um, and that's outside of my Galderma uh, training that I do. So Galderma, when I go to train for them, I obviously have to stay on label. And a lot of the things that we do do is off label. So that's where, whether it's a beginner's course of, you know, toxin and fillers, and we're learning just rheology and anatomy and all that stuff, or it's an advanced techniques uh, injectors course, then that's when I can do some of this off label stuff. So I do have courses, but I have thought about 
and it would take forever and it's a lot of manpower and I need to learn how to clone myself because I am already spread thin but I would really love to do like an online on-demand course um, for those that I might not be able to get to or you know um, their time is limited and they can only take some of these things at nighttime so that they would have the access and to be able to you know complete whether it's through just some didactic testing at the end or you know some way to just kind of help with their knowledge but um, I always tell patients not patients but injectors that this is just the beginning of your journey. Um, you know, just doing these courses, don't ever stop learning. That would be the biggest disservice that you could do to yourself and the biggest disservice you can do to your clients. Like even with the years I have, I'm always striving to find out more information or learn more. Like the cadaver labs that I go to, I always walk out with another piece of knowledge that I just didn't know. Um, so never think that you arrive um, just because you give great results and you've got good, you know, outcomes, like there's always room for improvement. The courses that you do have, how can someone book those? Yeah. How are they currently so, made up? Um, they're actually online um, through a, a link that I have, Illuminate Aesthetics Training LLC. And you can go online and their uh, course, um, what it's uh, composed of, all the didactic, just the information is there. And then if that's something that interests you, then you can go and schedule online for that particular course and then I will approve it. Obviously, anybody that schedules a course, you have to have a license to practice in Florida, um, whether it's a mid-level, uh, uh, which is a PA, physician assistant, nurse practitioner, doctor, DO, or dentist. Um, but those courses, and I can provide the link and I can give that to you. Can yeah, send posted. that over so we can put it um, Absolutely. when we post this, whether it's on Spotify or YouTube or Instagram or wherever, Absolutely. Facebook. So I we can put that, that in the, because I think that's important. And I think that there's such a need, because when I first came here, how I find my injectors is by going on Instagram, how I find anyone anymore. Because what I like to work with a very specific, if I want something done, I try to find a woman. I try mm -hmm. to find a woman of color, which is really hard to mm -hmm. do. But I find that by on Instagram using hashtags. And when mm -hmm. I did that for injecting specifically, I found that so many of the people I'm finding, naturally I'm also looking on Instagram, are young. Right. And oh, yeah. a course would be, because I'm not one of those people, because I'm in the same boat, right? I started this shit young. So mm -hmm. one of the most common questions I get is, all right, well, tell me about your experience. So I'm not, that's not the first thing I judge you based off of um, when I speak to someone that's in another profession. I, I do ask the question, because it's a variable, right? But I also want to know, do you actually know what you're talking about? Right. Like what you said, ask about anatomy. So I'll like, I'll do a lot of research before I go to an injector appointment and I'll ask, what's this muscle called? When well, I already know what the fucking muscle is called. Right. And if they, and I try to see if they know what it is. So I think that your course could be, now that I've met you and I know how knowledgeable you are, it could be marketed just a little bit better because holy, I mean, you don't have a lot of time, but holy shit, there's a need for it here. Yeah. There is a need for it. And you know, one of my weaknesses is social media. Um, and, you know, I actually just started, restarted doing social media um, last October. And 
it, it's really never been a huge need of mine. No, where because I was you're already at. successful without it. But yeah, and where and where I was at before, we kind of had a nice market that word of mouth just spread like fire, right? So I still have clients that come from Gainesville and Ocala to see me in Jacksonville, just because. Um, you know, once you find somebody that you resonate with and you can trust and you know that they're not going to produce any type of result outside of that natural look, like people will drive. But when I moved here to Jacksonville, which will be three years um, on July 23rd, um, I actually had to start marketing myself. Right. And it actually came at a point where COVID came shortly after. So traditionally speaking, you know, when you're in an office and people are coming to see you for derm because I did medical dermatology as well, then those patients just kind of funnel over into your aesthetics. But when you're in the middle of COVID, a new practice being started, it's really hard to get, you know, people to come in because obviously it was like urgent or emergent things that people were getting treated for and aesthetics just kind of took a back burner. So I being new to the area, um, really just didn't have that opportunity to market like you would traditionally do. And then I didn't even have social media. So it was just like, okay, now I guess I have to do social media. And I'm not going to lie, like, girl, when I was younger, like, we might have had MySpace. And that came, you know, when I was in junior year. MySpace was lit, though. I know, but, like, it's a joke, right? So, like, that was the only thing we really had. And it's like Instagram, TikTok, you know, Facebook. So I've been told is, now. Exactly. It's it's just it's, it's it's expected. Okay, so that's been one of the deficits that I'm trying to you know help in terms of like putting some before and afters and displaying my knowledge and all that stuff. And that's just not my strong suit. Um, I I don't just walk in a room and be like hey I've been doing this for a very long time I'm a national trainer like that's just not my that's just not who I am you well, know but the truth is you can't have one Instagram and market towards the, a consumer and the and injectors at the same time you really mm -hmm. have to have two mm -hmm. one for like people like me and then one for like hey this is my this is for injectors because let me tell you and the best thing I ever did was hire a marketing company to help me manage my yeah. social media because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I knew the content I wanted to post. I knew what I wanted right. it to say and the message I wanted and what I wanted to convey. Right. Um, but I wasn't, during the day, you and I can don't have two hours to sit down and create a real. Right, right. So I now, think I might need to get that number. Something. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Um, yeah. But if you had to choose, you can do both, but which one do you, because it sounds like you have so many channels that naturally funnel you consumer clients. Would mm -hmm. you want your current Instagram to be more focused on injector education or consumers? Wow. Um, I like the best of both worlds. You know, I, I, I so honestly- point I, I never even thought of that Kendall so because um, well, Instagram is all about algos like different yeah. algos are going to direct different people to your page and if you confuse that algo it's not going to send anyone I'll send yeah, you the number I always say you're so smart but yeah I'll send now you food 
food for thought. I definitely might need to open up another page to specifically deal with education. So after this call, what I want you to do is go see if your LLC name is available on Instagram and just create it. I already have one. I you took, I, I listen, listen. So I opened it and I was just like, uh, I just want to make sure Do you even know the password? Find them and sync them. So yeah, I okay. think it. So you just have like a blank Instagram. You know, it's just there so nobody can come and like snatch it. That's a so start. I mean, at least you did that. That's a start. Yeah, I think I did that when I first opened up my business. So I was like, ooh, let me make sure it's available. And you know, it just sits there, so yeah. <laughs> okay, well at least that stuff's done. But thank you so much. I love you. I had so much this was fun. Great. I love you too. Um, awesome. What's the best way for people to reach out and contact you? Yeah, so you can actually go on my Instagram. <laughs> at... <laughs> okay, so you can go on my Instagram. A underscore beauty for guru g-u-r-u um and thank you and i practice at the amar med spa which is um in jacksonville located in avondale awesome she will have another instagram shortly but this is the one oh, you good. should comment or message dm whatever now she also you have a website for your courses i do and i'll send, send me that link, link. And we'll awesome. include that also. Again, thank you so much. That is another episode of Failure Friday. We post these every Friday. If you would like to be a guest, please reach out. I'll send you some preliminary questions to make sure you are a good fit. Um, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. Mwah.